Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. lovely listeners and welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series and I'm your host Maddie Gobo. I'm the events manager here at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. I uh, just wanted to say a few words before we bring in our guests for the day. Um, right now we are still open uh, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. on weekdays and 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. on weekends. Um, you may have heard about our new uh, stay-at-home order here in LA County. Um, it does uh, not really changed too much about the way we've been doing business because we've had good COVID protocols in place. We're just reducing our store capacity a little bit more, but you can still shop with us. And um, we definitely, definitely encourage you to use curbside pickup um, if you want to be extra super safe. And we can also do uh, shipping anywhere in the U.S. So feel free to um, order whatever you like on our website, skylightbooks.com, and we will get it to you. All right. So today I'm excited because we have a mother and son author duo um, who have a new book where they interview each other, um, which is just a fantastic uh, setup for a book. Um, Speaking from my own experience, for my mom's birthday this year, I conducted a series of interviews about her um, with some of her favorite people, and it was her favorite gift ever. So this is just a beautiful gift that you have given each other and that um, our readers can perhaps give to their own moms or sons or daughters or fathers or other relatives that they want to get a little deeper with. Um, So the book is called Believe in You, A Family's Journey of Life, Love, and Loss, and it's by Jared Milrad and Jan West. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for us. For being here too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me read your bio so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So Jared Milrad, JDMS, is an award-winning filmmaker, entrepreneur, and advocate for social change. As the founder and president of A Show for a Change, a social impact entertainment company, Jared created Movie Karma, the first ever impact streaming platform that connects inspiring films with a charitable call to action. Jared and his team have acquired award-winning films from around the world, including an Oscar-nominated film. With a focus on empowering underrepresented artists, Jared has built relationships with award-winning filmmakers, including Oscar-winning and Oscar-nominated filmmakers, and with leading organizations such as the Sundance Institute, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and the Obama Foundation. Jan West is an author, mother, and lifelong advocate for social change. A proud mother of her two sons, Sean and Jared, Jan began her career as a cosmetician and teacher and later worked as a medical billing secretary and caregiver. A longtime animal advocate, Jan has rescued numerous dogs and advocated for a more compassionate society. 
In her free time, Jan enjoys ballroom dancing, watching classic movies, traveling, and spending time with her family and two rescue dogs, Gabriel and Penelope. Oh, Gabriel and Penelope, they're the real stars here. They are, I wish they were here. <laughs> well, thank you both for making the time uh, for the podcast today. I'm so happy to have you. Yeah, we're excited to be here. This is, this is fun. Lovely to be here. So um, I want to start off maybe with uh, a short reading. And since this book is kind of an interview format, um, I'm going to let you guys both sort of swap back and forth. Um, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll ask you some questions and we'll get into it. Great. Well, and thanks again for having us. So uh, the book is broken down in really sections of both of our lives. So we kind of wanted to map each of our experiences either together or apart. Um, so one of the sections we wanted to read from is called dating. Um, and this is a section about my coming out process as a gay man um, in my 20s. And so I'll just read from that section. Uh, and for those following, following along, depending on what edition you have the book, it's page 71. My 20s were obviously in a different time and different place than yours. I had a different upbringing. I remember coming out as gay with your urging when I was 22. When I came back home from college, you had read my journal that I wrote while studying abroad in India, where I questioned my sexuality. I came home from college and you said, you know, you should be happy. Don't break a woman's heart. Having that conversation with you propelled me into dating openly and helped me let the world know who I was. So my 20s were adventurous and exciting. It was a second puberty, essentially. A lot of LGBTQ folks can probably relate to that. It was my adventure. There wasn't a sense of guilt or shame. It was a sense of... I said freedom, which <laughs> I truly believed. Exactly. It was the opposite of what you went through. It was a sense of, oh, now I figured it out. Well, of course, there were many guys who I met that were either not really my type or who I kind of settled for in a one-night situation. It was still a very liberating time. Finally, I felt this is who I am. And so that was, a, that was part of the section. We also wanted to read another uh, small part of it. Do you want to go to page 75? So this is a, this is a bit about uh, my mom's experience uh, growing up and dating in the, really in the 60s uh, and beyond. Uh, so we're talking about that on page 75. Um, there was a revolution underfoot. That was the whole thing. My mother didn't get that because that wasn't her time. So at 28, I was already dead to her. Um, this was not in the book, but because I hadn't begun married yet. Right. So I was not considered to be alive, just dead because I wasn't married. It's funny because we joke today that in so-called gay years, you're basically dead by the time you're 30. Really? <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a sense in parts of the, at least the gay male community that being younger is everything. That's interesting. And I think it's maybe changing a little bit now as there's a new generation of men in their 30s who are out earlier and might feel less pressure to always be young or look a certain way. But it's still very much a reality that younger is everything, newer is better, and fresher on the scene is the ideal. Well, that, that's kind of the same for women. Look, well, uh, at 77, I'm 78 now, but I'm considered dead. <laughs> for women th at 30 in my years, you hit your stride. Look at the movie industry. Actresses who were, four, who were 40 rarely get good parts even today. 
um, like Meryl Streep, Helen Mirren, Judy Dench, or just some of the few who get good parts. But basically, by the time you're 40, you're through, that's the way it was. The illusion of youth and beauty only carries you just so far. And the next one, the next young hot thing comes up and takes your spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was a bit about, about dating. Uh, we talked about a number of other topics as well, um, but one of the other bits we wanted to highlight was kind of later as we move into talking about marriage, uh, we talked about how I met uh, my husband, Nate, uh, now husband, Nate, <laughs> um, and that's on page uh, 86. I thought that I would be married to a woman, at least through my teen years. I just got some picture in my head, probably from being on the planet at that time, of having a wife in an idyllic future. Of course, that's not how it turned out. So by the time I came out at 23, I didn't even consider marriage as a possibility or something that I was even interested in. Of course, I was relatively young when I came out. I was 23. It was only after I had been dating Nate for about four years, given the longevity of our relationship, that I started to think about marriage. When did you meet Nate? I met him in Boston on Friday, November 7, 2008, three days after the presidential election when I finished working for President Obama in New Hampshire. In the early days of dating, we were both still wrapping up other relationships. After the campaign, only a few months after we started dating, I couldn't find a, t a job in DC, so I actually moved in with Nate for about a month. I lived in his bedroom literally because I didn't really have a place to be as I was in between jobs. It seems like I'm always in between jobs. <laughs> but then I moved to Maine to work on a labor union issues campaign, and he came to visit me often. Early on, it was clear, clear there was something different about this particular relationship, but we still had so many rocky moments and ups and downs for the next several years. And I decided to go to law school at Northeastern University in Boston, and he started his career in healthcare instead of continuing to pursue medicine, which was originally why he went to graduate school at Tufts University. So we'd been through a lot even in our first few years together, including long distance relationships and everything else. But by the time I finished law school and the next presidential election came around, we did another long distance stint when I was in North Carolina working for President Obama's reelection campaign. By the time that ended, the election was over. It felt like a moment for me. For whatever reason, I began to envision Nate as being the guy that I would be with for the rest of my life. So it was a little different maybe than what you described in that for me, it just felt like this is the guy. There was a sense of urgency in terms of time and more sense of just, this feels right. I have to propose to this guy. And so I did, of course, on New Year's Eve in 2012. Yes, and it was beautiful. And the recording of the speech you delivered to him at the Stonewall in Manhattan was just beautiful, very special. It was. I surprised Nate with some friends and we called you. And he called his parents. I actually saw dad that night before I proposed. We got Indian food and I told him and he was happy for me. <laughs> so getting married for me was in a very different time at a very different moment than it was for you. Of course, when I proposed, same-sex marriage was legal in the state of New York, but it wasn't legal in most of the country. And interestingly, in that period after proposed, I proposed on New Year's Eve in 2012 and Nate said, quote, you know the answer, end quote, which evidently, as it turned out, meant yes. Until we got married in 2012, 15, I think Nate needed that period to decide whether getting married to me was really right for him. I think he might have even wanted to recalibrate what marriage meant to him and whether that was part of his future. But by the time we ended up actually getting married on July 19, 2015, same-sex marriage had just been legalized nationally two weeks earlier 
by a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court. As I tend to be, I was pretty spontaneous about it, and Nate was a little bit practical. So our engagement and process of getting married was obviously quite different than yours with that. Right, and your wedding was fantastic. Sitting there watching you exchanging your vows was so beautiful and so special. It didn't matter what your gender is or what your sexual orientation is. What matters is the love and caring, and may you always have that. And the honesty between two people is so important because if you can't communicate, you are really in trouble. By my watching you both exchange your vows, I thought about how perfect it was. You seem so perfect together. Oh, we know people always have problems. It's going to be true until the end of the human race and maybe beyond. <laughs> but that's just the part of living. Nothing is perfection. But I was so happy for you. I, I also wish that your brother would find someone, but we can't mention that at all. <laughs> I just felt from day one when I met Nate, which was up in Boston, that this was a very special person. And I'm not just saying that. I just felt that we were standing there with Sandra, my friend, going to see Robin Williams perform his stand-up show. And I just thought, this is a nice guy. You know, when I had uh, others, met others you had dated and they all were nice, but I felt something special about Nate. It was very, Nate was very special, very sincere. Mm -hmm. That's true. I wonder what your experience was in the decade plus that you were married to dad in terms of growing together and changing together. Older couples told us as we were about to get married that the interesting thing about marriage is you change at different times, you mature at different times, and you are in different circumstances in different times in your lives. And somehow each spouse has to navigate that path. Well, I think that with Marty and I, uh, there was always the elephant in the room and the elephant was his ex-wife, Judy, and his two kids from that first marriage, Mara and Josh. It was very hard when Sean was a baby. Judy developed breast cancer. Mara and Josh had come to live with us. And at that point, all I wanted to be was with your father. We were waiting for a two-bedroom apartment, and I set up a bedroom baby room, and then I had to take it, take in Mara and Josh. I felt sorry for them, but I was so tortured by it. I remember that one day I had to take down all the baby decals and I was just crying all day. I don't think I've ever cried quite like that since the day when my brother died. My dreams being shattered. We had to move the crib into our bedroom and Mara and Josh were there for quite some time. Yeah, so that, that's a bit about uh, at least the, the pathway into marriage and sort of thinking about both of our experiences uh, being married at very different times in life, but also in society. Thank you both. I think let's talk a little bit and then maybe if you have sure. another reading, we can yeah. have that bookend at the end. Yeah. Um, so I'm so curious uh, whose idea this was and how it all kind of came together. Yeah, so I, I think it was my idea. It was your idea. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but uh, my mom and I, as you can tell, have a really close relationship. I mean, she was a single mother raising me uh, for most of my childhood. And, and your brother. And my brother. Yeah, she raised my brother too, I guess. He's, uh, but, uh, but no, I, I think it was my idea. My mom moved out to California from Florida where she was, um, I guess about, what, three, three, three years, years ago. Three years ago, yes. And so just being closer to her and really valuing that time with her, I think, was part of what prompted me to think about it. I'd also read um, Anderson Cooper's book that he wrote a few years ago with his mom. Um, I think I actually 
close before she passed. Um, and I just thought that was such a beautiful way to, to honor that relationship, um, knowing how close he was with his mother. And so that's kind of what prompted it. So Jan, how did you feel about this idea when he proposed it? Um, at first I thought, um, well, gee, how much truth do I tell? <laughs> because I had a very dysfunctional childhood, extremely so. And then um, there were things in my 20s that I was not very proud about. I was basically um, a very disturbed young woman and um, what what you would call no other word for promiscuous <laughs> and very ashamed of that and uh due to my background which was uh kind of weird <laughs> and uh, i wondered if i was capable of telling the truth about it but um i as a single mother i mean i was so um at first very frightened when i realized you know my marriage was not we were not going to last marty and i were married 17 years but uh, I, in those years, I had my I had Sean, uh, my oldest son, at uh, 38, which was considered to be old, and then Jared at 41. So um, it was a monumental decision for me and, and my husband, but more for me because he had previous children and um, the love that I felt for my sons uh, just as all-encompassing for me and always has been. So it was hard those years being a single mom and working and uh, trying to survive and on a secretary's salary. Mm. But um, it, I think it made a better person of me and uh, it made, better, I think, better people of them. And uh, the, the father was not an absentee parent. I uh, don't want you to misunderstand that. He was there on the weekends and always there for them. He was quite a wonderful man. We just couldn't make it together. But I was just afraid that I wouldn't have the ability to tell the truth, but somehow I did. You did. So I, I survived. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jared, how did you decide, like when you were conducting these interviews, did mm. you have kind of a structure in mind? Were there things you really wanted to ask about first um, or did it kind of organically happen? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So I, we had we had talked both of us before we started recording, and we decided we wanted to structure it uh, the book as sort of this parallel, almost two parallel universes. Because I I always wondered, you know, if I had met my mom when she was you know twenty five, thirty, <laughs> what you know what would she be like? I just feel like a lot of kids wonder that, right? Like, what would my mom be like? What was her life like? And so we decided to sort of think about it in those sort of chapters basically of our lives, childhood, dating, teen years, um, marriage, divorce, grief. Um, and so we knew we had that basic structure down. And then so when we sat down, we, we said, okay, this is childhood. This is, you know, this is animal welfare, which is one of the topics. This is politics. Um, and then we, we went from there. My mom, as you can tell, she's a great ability to riff. And so uh, it wasn't hard to kind of, uh, you know, Jewish New Yorkers, if anyone's listening, they tend to be pretty good at, uh, at talking. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't hard to, to, uh, to, to have her go off. I think sometimes we had to, so there had to be some editing afterwards, but we were able to, I think, to get um, at a lot of the issues pretty, pretty organically. Yeah. Mm. And you were just sort of like having little recording sessions in your kitchen or? Was, yeah. Was so 
<laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, this, so this process took two years actually um, to, to do. And so we would do, you know, 30, 45 minutes about childhood and then we would come, you know, do the next chapter two weeks later, a month later. Um, and then sometimes we discovered things, but yeah, we were just recording on our iPhone, uh, on our good, you know, good voice memo. Um, and, uh, and, and kind of going that way. And I was just, it was taking me a long time to edit cause I had to go, I was my own editor. So I had to listen, edit, and then, you know, obviously make sure everything made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely recommend if folks are going to do this to find a quiet place and then try to have some structure. So at least you can organize it later. So you have a film background, so I'm kind of curious, um, you know, if you had thought about doing this as a film or an audio documentary before a book, or if it always was going to be a book. Yeah, it's a great point. I I, I love film. We we did a documentary when Nate and I, my husband and I got married in 2015 um, about our marriage, and my mom was in it a little bit, and Nate's mom, Susie, was in it. And it, and so I, I felt like we had covered some of that territory visually. There's still a lot more I think could be covered. Um, so we talked about doing maybe a short film or something uh, either based on our relationship or our lives in a visual form. But no, I'd always felt like the, a book would be uh, would be a great way to go. I had, what I struggled with, I don't know if you felt this way, but I, when I started sort of trying to write it as prose before we interviewed, um, it was tough. Like it was just tough to figure out where to start yeah. and where yeah. to go. But us being able to talk, I think allowed us to just be frank and open and, and not feel pressured of, you know, how this is going to sound or what people are going to think. Yeah, and I think the fact that he narrowed it down into subjects because otherwise I would have rambled off somewhere, (laughs) you know, and uh, just lost the thread. But the fact that we did it in subjects, I think, helped us a lot to keep it together, you know, and then went over it again and again. So that helped an awful lot. Yeah, absolutely. Were there um, moments in the interviews that really surprised either of you? Yeah, there were a lot of moments. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, my you know, I, my mom's pretty much to use upon an open book, uh, as you can tell. But but there are many things I didn't fully know. Like I didn't know, for example, my mom's brother uh, Barry, who unfortunately passed away, um, who struggled with mental health issues. I knew I'd met him when I was younger, and I had I have vague memories of him. Um, but I didn't know, obviously I didn't know my mom when she was younger and she was 20, 21 or when he was, you know, 18, 17. Um, so I didn't know about this cross country trip. They basically talked and they lived in LA near the Grammy Chinese yes, theater, right? Yes, that's right. In a block off. He was, uh, 17 and I was 20, not quite 21. And my grandparents had given us some money and we came out here. From New York. Yes, from New York. and went to Yosemite and Grand Canyon. And I wanted to stay out here so badly, but I, I got a job, which is now, I understand, uh, no longer exists at J.W. Robinson in Beverly Hills. And I used to take four buses or something <laughs> to get there in the lingerie department. And... Um, we tried to stay because we loved it so much, but we just, just couldn't afford it. And he, unfortunately, went, he was schizophrenic. But in those years, it was just the beginning of the Vietnam War in the 60s. And uh, the Navy took him in, which was a big, big mistake 
but they would take anybody. So um, that was, uh, you know, I stayed here a year longer and then I, my mother insisted I come home. I was very much under the control of my mother, which is a whole other chapter. <laughs> yeah, and so there's a lot, like those stories, I, I had no, I, I didn't know the details about it. I didn't know that she was, you know, who she was dating and what her life was like, where she was working and I was able to sort of do research and sure enough, I mean, her memory is just, spot on um i could find all these places that she 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 lived or she worked so that was really surprising to me was there something surprising to you that stood out yeah i also had my first love affair oh so <laughs> and that was a surprise you know i was very young and uh it's <laughs> so when my you mother surprised yourself i then. surprised yeah. myself <laughs> too so so um it was quite um i was quite in love with California, but my mother wanted me to come home and uh, I began to realize, well, yeah, I'm just not going to make it here. And, you know, without any money, it's pretty tough to live in California mm -hmm. or any place else. But yeah, it was, a, it was um, the beginning of the learning experience. Yeah. And so. Um, was there something about me that surprised you when we did the book? Something about you? Um, no. No, I wasn't surprised <laughs> because I, 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 always, I always said when Jared was a little boy, because um, my, my young, uh, older son was pretty much uh, at those years an open book. I knew um, he was extremely bright and he I always leaned towards science, even as a kid, uh, you know, three, four years old. I mean, so it seemed to me that he was just as you what you saw was what you were going to get. But Jared, I always used to say there was a secret place in him that I couldn't reach. And so um, I, I be sometimes began to think that perhaps he might be gay, but then I would push it aside. Not that it bothered me. It didn't bother me at all. It was just like, um, well, that's some, we're all different and we all seek different things in life. And as long as, because um, my childhood was so devoid of love that I was happy for Jared if he, and Sean, if and Sean is given up looking, which I'm not happy about. But, Jew uh, Jewish mother's nightmare, for sure. <laughs> Jewish mother's nightmare. Yeah. But um, no, uh, Jared just um, always kept a part of himself to himself and I knew there was something more to him but I couldn't find it until he um when I read his journal which he had written in Africa and he said I could read it I just didn't read the journal so then I what I suspected was you know indeed so and you were very angry at, at me at the time yeah yeah at not, the time was happy. furious with me but we made up in a day I mean <laughs> it was uh, not anything you know um, that we couldn't overcome because I think um, I love my son so much and they love me. That's always been, that's just a basic in my life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's not a surprise. No, 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 yeah. not at all. You're right. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. But no, I do think there's a lot to discover and I do recommend people do this because you know, my dad passed away, I guess, five years ago. Five now, years now, yeah. From dementia, and he was uh, in his 80s. But um, I remember the last few years of just spending time with him, it, I, I was able to sort of cherish those moments. So I think it's sort of a, a balance we play in life, right? We're sort of, we're thinking in the future, and we're also hopefully trying to live in the present. And so I think people should take time with whoever they love, whoever whoever they want to know more about, 
um, to just document that. Cause you also never know who it's going to affect, you know, who might pick up our book and be hopefully positively affected by that story. Right. Because as a child, um, I was always ashamed of my family because it was so dysfunctional and, um, my quote unquote few, what I consider to be normal girlfriends, you know, I, I, when I began to think about it and well, they weren't as dysfunctional a family as mine, but, but then again, I would think, well, how do I know I don't live with them? You know, I just know the crazy family that I live with. But um, you you never know. I mean, and uh, I always kept my, like, no one ever met my father because I was, and he was never around. He was working, and I was ashamed of him. And then at 16, I found out from my mother that he wasn't my real father. I mean, like, hello, you know, <laughs> so what? Uh, Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. And I did meet my real father for a um one night at the Latin Quarter in New York City when I was 16. And uh, my mother was quite the girl and she was had a boyfriend. And we got into the cab and I said, well, she said, well what do you think of him? I said, well, what do you want me to think of him? I just met the guy. <laughs> but I said, but I like your boyfriend more. So that's how crazy my family was. <laughs> so nothing surprised me, you know. And Jared never knew that. I mean, I, no, I never knew the details of that. And we found yeah. a photo of it recently, like her literally at 16 you know, sitting across from this man who, who was her real father, who she yeah, never mean, really knew. What was um, I supposed to do with that? Hello, <laughs> dad. I mean, you never raised me. So he was a nice man who at least he was good looking. Maybe I got some of those genes, but that was about <laughs> right, it. <laughs> right. 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 No, but I, no, but I do vividly remember, I think I was maybe 17, 16 or 17. You said, we were in the car. This is how my mom works, right? A lot of people will probably relate to this, but we were in the car and, uh, She's like, there's something I need to tell you when you turn 18. <laughs> and I said, why don't you just, why don't you just tell me now? <laughs> and she said, okay. And so she told me that her, you know, my grandfather was not my real grandfather. And so that, and that her father was, uh, that she basically never knew her real father, her biological father. So yeah, anyway, you know, that was sort of the, I guess this book was many years in the making, but that was one of the big <laughs> yeah. So Obviously, it probably wasn't part of your plan for this book to come out during a pandemic, but no. this is the world we live in. Right. Um, but I do think it actually is quite a fitting book to be published mm. during the pandemic because we are all trapped at home and we're far from our, our loved ones or we're much too close to our loved ones, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> depending on the situation. Right. But, um, it, it seems to me like this is a really good opportunity for people to kind of pursue some of these family stories and... Um, and have some of these conversations that, you know, in the kind of hustle and bustle of like non-pandemic life get, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have time for. Um, so I'm curious if you guys, having gone through this process already, have any sort of tips or suggestions for people who might be pursuing a similar project? Yeah, I know. I think, I think we have a lot of tips. I mean, one is, first of all, pace yourself. I remember when I, I tend to be, you know, maybe, maybe an overachiever sometimes. I'm just, you know, I was thinking, okay, we'll get this done in, you know, three months and we'll get it out. You know, that it took us two years because there's, there's a lot there. And I think no matter, especially if it's someone that, you know, it's your mom or your dad or someone you really, obviously there's a, there's a lot to unravel and lots to, to dive into. Um, so I'd recommend pacing yourself. I think also, um, you know, candor is so important, right? And depending on the relationship you have, with your parent or your spouse or whoever you're interviewing, uh, 
I think setting some ground rules that okay, let's let's be as honest as we we can be here um, because then you you know there's a chance again you may you may never know um, and that was a big I think fear for me too that turned into a positive action which is I want to know I want to know these stories and I want to be able to have them documented so candor was really important which wasn't hard to get for my mom no you know the thing is that um when i i began to think about um you know my young adulthood that that kind of as i said uh, made me have second thoughts well are you going to tell the truth and i decided well i have to because how would he know really um, that much about me? And when um, he, he thinks I get morbid, but when I'm no longer <laughs> here, when I'm dead, oh, and gone, um, he has a history. Both my sons have a history. I mean, unfortunately, my other son couldn't participate because he lives in Florida, but uh, we included him in our thoughts, of course, and what we felt and how we know how he felt about certain things, which does. But um, you you have to be honest. If you're not going to be honest, then it's not going to be a true book. Mm. So you have to really look at yourself and say, "Am I going to admit this or say this and come out, you know come out with it?" And uh, then you create a genuine story of your life. And then of course your sons or daughters or whomever spouses uh, they understand more and maybe that will help them out in their lives. That's mm -hmm. what we're hoping it will help people out that if your family is dysfunctional, you're not alone. There are <laughs> right. Lots of us who are dysfunctional, <laughs> you know, in a, in, a, in a great sense, some more than others, but, um, yeah, be honest about it. Be honest, be real. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. good advice. Um, so now that you kind of, the book is out in the world, mm -hmm. um, what, what are some of the takeaways that you have from this whole process of putting it together and, and, or what are some hopes that you have for the life of this book now that it's kind of left your, your family home? Yeah. I, I, I take away from me as I think this is, this is one of the most meaningful things I've done. I mean, I, as a creative person, uh, you know, I need to be creative to, 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 to live, but uh, of the creative projects I've done, this has been just incredibly meaningful for me personally, and I think it will be, as my mom said, for you know our entire family and potentially other families who read it. Um, I, you know, I hope I hope what it does for folks is it is it ultimately just it moves and enlightens, you know, in whatever way it can. Um, hopefully, people find something that they can relate to and hear um, that may inspire them to to open up and sit down with someone they love uh, and really ask them, you know, some some sometimes hard questions um, about about their background and their relationship. Um, but I also hope it's, you know, a testament to the power of family and that, that bond. I mean, that's what we put um, in the title, Believe in You. It's something my mom always has said to me for as long as I can remember, which basically, you know, basically means never give up um, and, uh, and believe in your potential and who you are. Um, but at the same time, it's really been that bond that we have and our family's bond that has endured. Um, and, you know, we talk about in the book, there's some times when I was a teenager where I was, you know, rebelling and she was saying things like, you know, our family's so small, like it's only you, me and, you know, my brother basically most of the time, like we don't have a lot of extended family that we see. And my mom always reminded me, but it's our family and it's, it's precious and you should value that. So whatever your family is, I hope that people take some time to really, to value that bond and explore that bond. Yeah, and to be honest about it, because um, there's things that you don't have to like either about the person, even the person you love, you know, that's true too. And um, I know sometimes um, 
I go off a little bit about different things <laughs> and maybe some things that are outrageous, but I know my sons uh, accept me for me. And that, that's a great thing to feel that way, that people accept you and particularly people that love you or care about you, I mean, including good friends, that they accept you for who you are and not for who perhaps they would like you to be. So I think that um, also this book is a revelation about that, that that is a very special thing to be accepted for whom you are. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a great a great point is I think that not every, not obviously not every gay kid, not every LGBTQ kid, not every kid who's different has that from their mother or their parents. And that's something I was really lucky to have. So I, I also did want to share that story of, uh, you know, acceptance and, and love, which uh, hopefully will maybe spread a little more joy and love in the world if folks read it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about that I haven't asked about yet? Um, the only thing I thought that I had covered, um, which is so uh, pertinent for today, is about grief and loss because mm. of COVID. And um, in in my life, I had lost um, three, four, really, of the most important people in my life in a series in, a, in six years. And um, I did did write about it, but the the toughest one. I mean, I lost my mother in. Um, 94 she'd been in a coma for probably six or seven months so um i thought i was prepared for it but in fact we had to get go to court my father and i to get her off the machines because my father didn't want want to have that done and that was one issue we, we finally uh, did get her off and then i lost my best friend uh sue who she died in 95 but the most um hardest one was losing my brother who died in 99 he was 53 and he was a schizophrenic and uh i say to jared you know the story all very painful as life was and um i just uh lived through that and then my father died in 2000 and i wasn't very close to him because i hardly knew him but still i, I my father's death a year later was not that tough because we had been estranged for so long, but I saw um, you, meaning Sean, meaning Jared, you and Sean crying. I was at the funeral and I was so shocked. And I thought to myself, well, of course you were a better grandfather than you were a father. Mm -hmm. So that realization came over to me. So loss is something that we all go through and more and more people are going through it now. And um, I, I remember, and I've written it in the book that um, I just got through it, but it's like every day was a numb, numbness in my heart for it, for the people that I had lost and loved in, in one form or another. So my heart goes out to the people who've lost so many people now, you know, in all over the world, not just in this country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that that section of the book, we, we knew it would be difficult and it, it was, it but, was difficult. but I think it was, again, also important to be, to do it because a lot of times, at least in, at least in American culture, we don't always talk about loss and grief and death um, in, a, in an honest way. And for me, it just taught me a lot about my mom's, you know, courage and strength. Um, as she says, you know, she lost really three, four people that were very close to her in, you know, five, six years. So 
um, it showed me just that idea of fortitude and, and strength and courage and overcoming grief, but also confronting grief. Like, you know, I think it's something that we shouldn't run away from. Um, so I definitely learned a lot from that and reflecting on my dad, you know, the loss of my dad. Like I, I feel, um, uh, just grateful that my mom's been here to, so to have hopefully people who who are going through loss right now have someone or multiple people that they can, they can be with and can, yeah. can, can, you know, console them and be with them. Yeah. I, I like the mission of this book, which seems to me to be like, reach out to the people in your family, ask them yeah. questions, yeah. share your life with them. Um, yeah. cause you never know <laughs> what might happen. Yeah. You, you don't know. And it's, you know, that is, that is the, I like to say it's the bargain we make by living, right? We, we're not here forever. And, uh, we've, a COVID has reminded us that we, we never, we never know what's around the corner. Um, so while we have this time at home, uh, in between maybe some bickering and fighting, uh, if, if, if that, if that happens with your loved one, I think it's nice to spend some time to really just sort through everything, um, and be there for one another. You know, I know like, for example, my dad passed, you know, my husband and my mom and my family, like that was, that was everything for me. Um, and I think spending this time in the book was really, it was really, as you said, a kind of a revelation. It was a, it was a way to sort of confront those feelings. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for sharing this project with our listeners. And um, I hope the book finds a big audience out there in the world. Uh, and um, I just wanted to, to check before we say our goodbyes, um, do, do you have future collaborations planned? <laughs> what else is next? Yeah, no, we, we, we love to do more. And yeah, and first of all, I see people can buy, buy a book on Amazon, believe in you, it's believeinyoubook.com or just search for an Amazon. Uh, you know, we, I think we're going to, we were just talking today, we hope to add maybe some future chapters uh, of undiscovered territory. Uh, for example, entrepreneurship, we both have an entrepreneurial streak, which I learned about through this book uh, and writing it. So there's other chapters we might add. So stay tuned for that and maybe other projects together. Yeah, um, I, I think know. so. Yeah. Maybe some short films together. Wow. Yeah. Power, power team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <A> dynamic <laughs> duo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is, this is the team. This is the superhero team. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you both today. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. Enjoyed talking to you very much. All right, listeners, so you heard it here. The book is Believe in You, A Family's Journey of Life, Love, and Loss. And our guests today were Jared Milrad and Jan West. Thanks again, both of you, and uh, take care. And we'll have you in the store someday soon, I hope. Love okay, that. that'd yeah, be great. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you on the flip side, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.